0: to the book of Acts chapter 3, we're going to continue as we look at the book of Acts uh, verse by verse, passage by passage. I'm very excited about the message today as I am every week and and, uh, the the title that the Lord gave me this morning uh, really has to do with the very last um, verse in the book of Acts chapter 3 and let me read that verse first and then I'll, I'll let you guys know where I'm coming from. If you look at Acts 3.26, the very last verse in the, in the book of Acts chapter 3, look at what Peter says. He's, he's addressing his fellow Israelites, preaching a sermon right there outside the temple. He says, God, having raised up his servant, speaking of Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the title of my message is, First for the Jew, then the Gentile. First for the Jew, and then the Gentile. Well, what are we talking about? What is first for the Jew, and then to the Gentile? Well, the gospel. The gospel is first for the Jew, and then to the Gentile. I find it so fascinating that our, cult- our spiritual heritage is directly linked to the people of Israel. We, we see this all throughout the scriptures. Obviously, the Old Testament is the story of God's redemption and it starts there with creation, the fall and the flood leading to Abraham. And God creates for through the seed of Abraham this, this nation that grows there in the bondage of Egypt. And God delivers them out. And he says, I've chosen you as my people. We're going to get into that in just a minute. And through this particular, and what the Bible says, a peculiar people, God begins to reveal himself to us. Now, why is that important? Because, again, our spiritual heritage is based and founded and grounded and rooted In the people of Israel, our Savior, my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a Jewish man. There's, there's no mistaking his ethnicity. His identity was distinctly Jewish. And it had to be that way because God revealed himself through the Jewish people, and he knew that the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from that same lineage, from that ethnicity. And there we see Jesus revealed to us there in the, in the land of Israel about 2,000 years ago, fulfilling all of these prophecies. And now here we are today, very few of us, if any, I don't know, how many of you have any Jewish ethnicity, if you have a Jewish lineage, uh, in your family, I don't. But I'm here today, worshiping a Jewish Savior, the only Savior of the world, who just happens to be a Jewish man. There's there's there there's something to that. Like we should we should embrace that. We should we should study that. We should we should look into that. You know, there's there's this deep connection, Old Testament, New Testament, and we see that here. And this is Peter's opportunity to preach a very powerful message to his own people, to the Israelites. Now, we see in the, in the day of Pentecost, you see, this is what happened. Uh, God poured out his Spirit on the, on the church. They're praying. They begin to speak in other languages. The people uh, that come to see what's going on. And uh, Peter stands up and responds, and he delivers a powerful message. The first message, gospel message of the church, Peter preaches. And he said that that day, 3,000 people were saved. So the people, they're like, what is God up to? God's doing something great. Well, now we fast forward to Acts chapter 3. We talked about the, the beggar by the gate, beautiful, last week, and how God healed this man who had a congenital um, defect where he could not walk for over 40 years. He is miraculously delivered. He's healed in front of all of the people, and the same thing happens. All the people come rushing in to say, how is this man healed? How did this happen? And Peter takes his second advantage of being able to preach the gospel message to his own fellow Jews in this particular situation and circumstance. So this is the second time now Peter has been given an opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jews. Now remember, before the resurrection, before the crucifixion, nationally the Jewish people have rejected Jesus. And now Peter's given them another chance. And that's really what this whole message is really wrapped up in, is the, is the grace of God that he, that he shows through Peter to the Jewish people and how, now, how does that relate to you and me today? If we're not of Jewish descent today, well, then how does that apply to you and to me? I think there's some really good application that we're going to see in this Scripture this morning as we look at Acts chapter 3, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, many of you may or may not be aware, but we're coming up next month in May. We're coming up on the 70th anniversary of the birth of the Jewish nation. Y'all realize that? The Jewish nation born, reborn. Of course, we know that the old Jewish nation led by the kings of Israel, David, in the, there in the Holy Land, and then it was destroyed by um, the Babylonians in, in 586 B.C. And, and from that point on, the Jews were scattered and spread all over the world, most of them retaining their Jewish heritage and identity. But God had always made a promise to bring them where? Back home. And what we are seeing in our lifetime today, beginning with May of 1948, coming out of the the horrors of the Holocaust, as so many Jews were were just ruthlessly murdered and killed um, at the hands of Nazi Germany and and, and the, the, the powers of evil that were at work in those days. And so many of these Jewish people lost their lives. And it was out of those dead bones in Ezekiel 37 that God gave the the, the nation of Israel new life, new birth. And in 1948, on one vote, and most people believe it was President Harry Truman who cast his vote in favor in the United Nations, in favor of allowing Israel to reestablish them as an autonomous, sovereign state, in 1948, May of 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. Now, listen, we may take that for granted. That is a supernatural, miraculous event And we have to understand that right here we're coming upon 70 years now that the nation of Israel has been an autonomous, sovereign state. We're about they're about to celebrate that right now, and they're actually already having all kinds of celebration ceremonies in the land of Israel as we speak. And so when we look at this idea, what and and this has been what's so fascinating to me as a Christian. What is the connection between us and the Jews today? How is God still using his plan of redemption and what does his plan look like for the Jewish people and, and how, how are we involved in that and how can we engage our Jewish brothers and sisters and, and how can we pray for the peace of Israel and how can we keep our eyes fixed on the Holy Land and, and the land of Israel because knowing this is, this is God's time clock, his timepiece, that he's always working and, and, and using the people of Israel and the land of Israel to, to show us signs and to show us different events and things that are going on to help us understand that we are living, okay, in the last days. Now, I know Peter said at the day of Pentecost that these are the last days, beginning with the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Those were the beginning of the last days, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. We're a lot closer today to the return of Jesus than we were 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen? And there are some unique situations and things going on right now. For instance, the rebirth of the Jewish nation in 1948, which our generation has lived to see, That's telling us that God's prophetic time clock is what? It's moving a little bit faster. It's moving a little bit faster. And we're looking forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see already that if if we're already looking at this passage of Scripture through those lenses, I hope that we'll be able to get some really good application this morning as to how it applies to you and me right now today in Bartlett, Tennessee, in the United States of America. And so let's move on and let's look at Acts 3. I'm just going to read the passage of Scripture to you, and then we're going to look at some of the deep truths that Peter shares with us in this sermon. Now, this is a, this is a harsh sermon, but it's also a gracious sermon, okay? So Peter kind of lays out some really hard things for the, his own uh, Jewish brothers and sisters that they have to hear, but then he turns around and offers them, offers them the grace of God. That's what any good preacher will do because the gospel is rooted in that which is true and that, what I, that is real in our, in our sinfulness and our judgment before God, but then it offers the wonderful grace of God that's given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Amen. So let's look at this passage together. I'm just going to read it from verse 11. So y'all stay with me. And as, as we're reading, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. As we're reading this passage, try to underline, if, you, if, you, if you're one of these people that don't mind writing in your Bibles, Every time there's a different title for the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage, just underline it. I think there's about four or five different titles that Peter uses concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. So as you're reading through it and I'm reading through it with you, just underline those because that that is important as we look at this passage together. So Acts chapter 3 verse 11. It says, while he clung to Peter. Now again, we're talking about the beggar by the gate beautiful. He's just been healed and he's hanging on to the disciples It says, he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to to them in the portico called Solomon, Solomon's portico. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So here he is, number two, sermon number two. Peter has an opportunity to preach to the people of Israel, to his own fellow uh, brothers. Listen to what he says. Peter stands up to preach. Men of Israel. So he's preaching to to the Jews. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us? as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, again, fellow Israelites, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, and thus he thus fulfilled... Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like men from your brothers. You will listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring... Shall all the families of the earth be blessed? Amen. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture again, remember the historical context. On this day in Israel, Peter is preaching to a specific audience. He's not preaching to us in Bartlett, Tennessee. Now, secondarily, we're going to get some really good application from what he has to say, but the initial audience is the fellow Jews, the fellow Israelites of Peter's nation of Israel. He's preaching to his fellow countrymen. Now, here's a couple of things that we need to to, to look at and consider before we really get to the good stuff, which is the grace of God that, that God is offering to the Jews on this day and subsequently offering to you and me On this very same day. But the first thing I want you to see is that there is an undeniable privilege of the Jewish people as God's children of promise. Why is it for the Jew first and then the Gentile? Why was the gospel, why was Jesus coming first for his own countrymen as a Jew, as as an ethnic Israelite in the lineage of Abraham and the lineage of David? Jesus came to the Jewish people first. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because the Jewish people historically have had an incredible amount of spiritual privilege. They were the children of promise. Now, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, I'm going to encourage you, let's flip to Deuteronomy chapter 7. You have your Bible. You like to turn pages a little bit. I want to hear those pages turning because you look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to share a couple of quick passages with you to remind us this morning of this great privilege that the the chosen people of Israel had in relationship to God. Deuteronomy chapter 7, just one of the many passages in the Old Testament that talk about the, the privilege of the Jewish people in their relationship to God. Look at verses 6 through 8. Consider what is being communicated here to the people of Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, note this, out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Wow. God, in his own sovereign ordained will, said, I want to choose these people to accomplish my will so I can reveal myself to them, through them, to the rest of the world, out of all the other nations in the earth. Why? It's funny because he tells us why. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chosen you because you were really the fewest of all people. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying it's not because you were some great nation, some mighty nation, some massive nation. He said, actually, you're probably the least of all people. Isn't that how God typically tries to work? Taking the least of these and doing something extraordinary through them so that it is evidence that he is the one that is at work and not because of their strength or might or their ingenuity or whatever it may be. So God took this lowly people, this, this peculiar people who are few in number, and he said, I've chosen you. But look at, look at why he chose them. It says, because the Lord loves you. <laughs> wow. Because of his divine love that he has for the people of Israel. Is there anything that the Israelites had necessarily that, that earned or deserved love from God? Nope. Is there anything that we have necessarily that earns or deserves the love of God? You see what I'm saying? But he has just chosen... <laughs> Because of his love and his grace, because of who he is as a God of gods and Lord of lords, to love the people of Israel. And look at what it says. And keeping his oath that he swore to your father. So it has something to do with his love for the people of Israel, but also because of his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made a promise, and God's going to keep his What? He's going to keep his promise. And so this is rooted in the privilege of the Jewish people. So it was, it was the love that he has for the Israelites and the, and the promise that he swore to his fathers. Now, turn with me again to the book of Romans chapter 9, and I want to see a New Testament perspective of the privilege of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And this is from Paul's perspective. Paul, again, being an ethnic Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a Benjamite. He was circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, this guy, he was all 100% Jewish. So he knew and he loved his fellow countrymen. Look at what Paul said in Romans 9 about the privilege of God's chosen people, the Israelites. Paul says this in Romans 9, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Verse 1, I'm not lying my conscience bears me excuse me my conscience bears me witness in the holy spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart listen to what he says for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh listen to what Paul is saying he's saying if it were possible I would go to hell if I knew that all of my kinsmen could be saved that's what he's communicating right there If it were possible, I would be cut off from God, accursed, if it meant that all of my fellow countrymen could be saved. Now look at what he says. They are Israelites. Now what belongs to the Israelites? And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And to them belong the patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the 12 tribes. And from their race, okay, again, as I said, I serve a Jewish Savior. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. So think about that just for just a second. This privilege of the Israelite people, they had the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law. And from them came the Messiah, Jesus. God is going to reveal his Savior to the world through a chosen group of people, the least of all peoples. And those people just happen to be the Israelites. This is a great privilege. They had, they had a head start on everybody else. Now look at what he says in verse 6. I'm going to read through verse 8. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but though I, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. So what is he saying there? He's saying just because you got Jewish blood running through your veins does not make you a right with God. That's what he's saying right there. He's saying not everybody who is of Israel is really of Israel. In other words, there's a promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the Israelites, and that promise was always rooted in relating to God through faith. And many of the Israelites, many of the Jewish people, even though they had this great privilege to know who God was, they had the covenants, they had the priests, they had the sacrificial system, they had the law of God, they had the word of God, they had the prophets, they had the patriarchs, but many of them still did not have faith. Many of the Israelites died apart from God because they lacked faith. And so that's exactly what Paul is saying here, and that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, Israelites, you have an opportunity to repent. You have an opportunity. You missed Jesus the first time before He came. He was crucified before you. And now you have an opportunity. I'm giving you another chance to embrace this gospel that is for you first. Great privilege of the Jewish people. If anybody should have recognized Jesus, it should have been whom? It should have been the Jewish people. Number two. You've got this privilege of the chosen people. Now you've got the unspeakable act of wickedness of the Jewish people to kill the very author of life. Now let me, let me go just for a second over here, okay? Do you realize that in the church, historically, there has been a great amount of anti-Semitism... If you go back and you read even some of the, the writings of the reformers like Martin Luther and some of the men that we raise up as being this spiritual fathers in the church, you know that they, a lot of them had, had a lot of deep anti-Semitism in their heart towards the Jewish people because they took verses like this and they said, you see, it was the Jews' fault that Jesus died. They killed him. No. Because I've, I've shared this with you before, and, and I'll share it with you again just real to, to clarify what happened Now, it, From a national perspective, the rulers of the of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, they were partly responsible in compliance with the murder of Jesus Christ. They were the ones who were turning Jesus over to be crucified. They were the ones who were scheming and conspiring to kill the Author of Life. They were the ones who tried to convince Pontius Pilate who wanted to let him go. They still said no. Crucify him. They they riled up the crowds. A lot of the people were so ignorant and blind, they didn't even know what they were shouting about the leadership of Israel. However, they were so hardened toward God that, that, yes, they were responsible, at least secondarily, for the death of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said this, nobody takes my life from me. He says, I what? I freely and willingly lay it down. So, yes, there is this, human responsibility there, but it was God's divine sovereign plan from the beginning that Jesus would be crucified at the hands of wicked men. And it just so happens that the Israelites were part of that whole process. And so it is an unspeakable act of wickedness, and it does show just how far away the the national leaders of Israel had come from God. They thought that they were living for God. At the same time, they were crucifying God. The irony in that So yes, they did hand him over. Yes, they were compliant in the death. Yes, in other words, they were like accomplices to the murder of Jesus Christ. But guess what? So am I. You hear me? So am I. Because God had me on his heart when he went to the cross, and he had all my ugly, filthy, nasty sin and shame on his heart when he went to the cross. And, And as the great hymn, How Deep My Father's Love, tells us, it was my sin that held him there. You see what I'm saying? So you had this privilege of the Jewish people, then you had this wickedness of the Jewish people, but then you had this inexcusable state of ignorance of the Jewish people to reject their own Messiah. Again, if anybody should have recognized Jesus for who he was, it should have been the Jewish people. They had the law, they had the Psalms, they had the prophets, they had the prophecies, they had this anticipation, they were waiting for the Messiah, they were always looking for the Messiah. And it's just because many of them just had some confusion and some misunderstanding about who the Messiah was supposed to be, particularly when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Even the disciples didn't understand it, did they? Think about Peter Peter's like, wait a minute, you're telling me that you're about to go back to Jerusalem so that you can die? What did Peter say? Never you are going to die on my watch, Lord. Jesus turned around and called Peter the devil. Get behind me. You don't even have an idea what you're talking about, Peter. You're going to be denying me three times anyway before it's all said and done. You see, they didn't fully understand, even the disciples. And really, it was until the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the disciples themselves, really, their their eyes were open. They're like, oh, that's what he was talking about. Now we understand what was he talking about. And so there was a level of ignorance in the Jewish people, even though they should have recognized the Messiah for who he was. Now, think about all the titles, as I told you, as we read through that passage. Think about these are specific messianic titles. And Peter makes sure he calls them out because he wants his fellow Israelites to recognize that this Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Listen, there's only one man who's ever lived, who's ever walked the face of this planet, who can fulfill all of these prophecies. There's only one man who can fulfill all of these messianic titles. His name is Jesus. There is nobody else. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying he's the servant of the Lord. He's the holy and righteous one. He's the author of life. He's the Christ or the Messiah. He's the true prophet likened unto Moses. He's the seed of Abraham. This is Jesus. This is the one that we all should have been waiting for. We all should have been embracing. We all should have been expecting. And yet we were so ignorant and so blind that we missed it. Now, I will say this, it's not that they were completely innocent in their ignorance. Because I really believe, from a national perspective, many of the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders of the day, they didn't want to believe in Jesus. Why? Because to embrace Jesus would have completely destroyed their way of life. It would have destroyed their power that they had. It would have destroyed their religious system that they had built. It would have destroyed their traditions that they so, uh, the, the man's traditions that they held on to so deeply and so strongly. It would have, they would have had to completely repent. They would have had to have changed their mind about everything that they thought about God and themselves and everything else. So there was something wicked and, and dark and blind in their own hearts, and they were willfully ignorant about the Son of God because they knew that if they embraced the Son of God, their whole world would be turned upside down, and they just weren't ready for that. They just weren't ready for that. Now, before we come down too hard on the nation of Israel, you know, I hear people all the time when you're reading the New Testament and you you read passages like this, and you're like, man, how did they miss it? How did they miss it, you know? And, and I've even heard people say, you know, if I would have been there, you know, I think I would have recognized Jesus for who he is. Ha. You think? I can hear my mocking voice in the crowd among the scoffers saying what? Crucify him. Crucify him. If Had I been there 2,000 years ago, i had have been right there amongst them. Kill that man. Crucify him. Before we become so high and mighty and arrogant and and thinking that we're better off and we have more knowledge or understanding, we would have done something different. Let's let's, let's slow down just a minute and realize that we are just as blind and, and just as ignorant and we can be just as morally wicked as the people of Israel in their day. Because apart from God revealing these things to us and opening our hearts and our minds and our eyes to his truth and his beauty and his love and his grace, we would have been the very same ones crying, crucify him on that cross. What about our privilege? What do you th- how do you think God looks at the state of the church in the United States of America today? Think about the United States of America today. If the Jews had some type of privilege as the chosen people of God, think about the access that we have to the gospel today. You can't go anywhere in this country just about without seeing a Bible. You go to Christian bookstores. We have online resources that we've never had before. We have money and wealth and freedom and opportunity to take the gospel, to share the gospel, to promote the gospel, to to learn the gospel. We we have so much entitlement. We have so much privilege in the United States of America today. If any church in the world today should show the signs and fruitfulness of knowing and believing and promoting and, and sharing the gospel all over the world, it should be the church here in the United. States of America should it not Amen. think about the privilege you grew up with even especially in the Bible belt how do you think God looks down upon the church today in the United States of America I'm going to tell you how I look at it about like I'm believing Israel now let's don't forget the first people to put their faith and trust in Jesus, at the beginning of the church, were Jewish people. There was a remnant of people who got it. Let's not forget that. The early church was made predominantly of Israelites. <laughs> Hence Peter and John and James in the early church they they got it they did embrace it they did receive Jesus Christ their eyes were open so there was a remnant of the Jewish people who did believe that's what I see in the North American church today i think that unfortunately that there are masses of blinded ignorant people that sit in churches every single week but God always has preserved for himself a what there is a remnant There's always a remnant there within any church, within any community, within this nation. God will always have a remnant of true believers that He has called out and reserved and preserved for Himself. So we have to be very, very careful about condemning the Jewish people for doing what they did and acting so ignorantly in time past when we also may very well miss not the first coming of Jesus. But if we're not careful and we're sung to sleep by the empty materialism and pleasures and empty philosophies and vain things that we chase after in this world, the church of the living God has been sung to sleep by this materialistic, hedonistic culture. And if we're not careful, guess what? We're going to miss his second coming. How many people in the church you think are prepared to meet their maker? that they're anticipating and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I I, I shudder to think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says, many people will say to me on that day, what? Lord, Lord, I I did all this stuff for you. We cast out demons. We, We preached in your name. And Jesus says, I will look at those people on that day, and he will say, depart from me, you workers of wickedness. I don't even know who you are. We must examine ourselves and our hearts and make sure that we are truly in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't miss the second coming of Christ, just like the Jewish people missed, many of them, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this. Being an American does not make you any more a Christian than being a Jew in that day made you saved does that make sense i think a lot of times we put our faith just in the fact that we're americans hey i grew up in america i grew up in the bible belt my parents raised me in church my grandparents were faithful to the church i'm okay It's not what the bible says we have to make sure that we, on a personal level, have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that there was a point in our life when we were changed by the grace of God, that the Lord Jesus Christ is living in us and through us, and that now we're in a relationship with Him, and we have assurance of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Not all Israel is Israel. Not all Americans are Christians. Not all church members are Christians. So after Peter takes this message, and he's, I mean, thats a message of, of harsh condemnation. It's like, you killed the author of life. You turned him over to wicked men. You did this. You say crucify him. You got a murderer released to you instead of Jesus. You did all these things. What do you think God's response is after that? After all that the Jewish people had done to reject Jesus, what's God's response? Grace. It's Grace. How gracious. That's why, that's why John Newton, when he wrote that blessed hymn, Amazing Grace, do you know why he wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace? Because he finally saw himself as the wretch that he really was. It was in the moment of his deepest and darkest wretchedness is when he was able to say, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that's what Peter's communicating to the people of Israel today, saying, no, d- despite all of the rejection, despite all of the ignorance, despite all of the unbelief, everything that you've done to Jesus, he still lives today and is offering you grace. Amen. That's amazing grace. So, the last two things I want to share with you is this God offered his free gift of eternal life first to the Jewish people as an indescribable act of grace. John Constable said, God desired to bless all people, but he purposed to bless humanity by first blessing the Jews. It was in this statement, For You First, that reflects the emphatic position of the phrase, which stresses the prophecy of the Jewish blessing. We see it when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and they're having this kind of interesting dialogue in John chapter 4. Jesus says, Salvation is from who? It's from the Jews. She's saying, Well, what about my fathers and the Samaritan fathers? And Jesus says, No, the salvation is from the Jews. If you want to know the true Savior of the world, you got to know a little bit about who, where he came from, the Jews. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, first for who? First for the Jew and then the Gentile. That's what Paul said in Romans 1. Read it. So this blessing, this salvation, this grace was offered first to the Jewish people. And let me tell you something. I don't mean this by saying it this way. I've talked to many brothers about how we're to deal with our our other Jewish people in in Memphis today. Many of you may know some people who are of a Jewish descent. I don't necessarily think that means that we're to only share the gospel with Jewish people first and then focus on the Gentiles later. I don't think we should have any type of partiality necessarily because God calls us to share the gospel with who? All people. But I do believe possibly that as God is bringing the Jewish people back to the Holy Land and God is beginning to move and stir the hearts of the Jewish people, That there's going to be a great movement of God here in these last days. We're going to see some things happening that we haven't seen before. We're going to start to see more and more prophecies be fulfilled. And I do believe that there may be this great revival, this great movement of God, and possibly it's going to begin with who? The Jewish people. And there's evidence of that. There's things happening right now. Some of my connections that I have with people who are in the Holy Land or have connections with Messianic ministries in the Holy Land, they're starting to see God do stuff in the hearts of the Jewish people. Because remember what he said uh, in in Romans chapter 11. He talks about that until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, we're going to see this as we go through the book of Acts. Even Paul, as he's going to these different communities, he's sharing the gospel with the Jewish people, and finally he gets so much rejection and resistance from the Jewish people, God says, okay, Paul, that's enough. Don't focus on the Jews anymore. Go where? Go to the Gentiles. And from that moment on, You see this unbelievable movement of God saving and redeeming people from every nation under heaven. And here we sit today as recipients of that very same grace. So this is kind of, in a sense, the age of the Gentiles. But God is not finished with the Jewish people by any stretch of the imagination. There's there's an establishment, there's a principle that many prophetic teachers will tell you that until Christ can establish before Christ can establish his earthly king, kingdom in other words before Jesus Christ can come again the bible is very clear that israel must repent and accept the messiah and not just individual israelites but there is a very good case from romans chapter 11 where paul says all israel will one day what be saved So in order for Jesus to return, one of the things that we can look at is that there's going to be a massive revival movement where all of Israel, nationally, the people who are alive, the Israelites, the Jews who are alive this day will be saved before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something to that. I don't understand all of it, but there's something to that. So what's Peter's message to the Israelites of his day. It's the gospel. Let me briefly share the gospel with you. Peter says, my fellow Israelites, I need you to repent. What does repent mean? Repent means I need you to change the way that you think. Now, there are fruits of repentance. Once you can change the way that you think about God and about who you are, you see God for who he is and all of his glory and all of his holiness, and you begin to see you as you really are in all of your sinfulness and your desperate need for him. And at that moment, that repentance takes place. You change your mind about all of reality. You change your mind about who God is and how one is saved. You change your mind about how you can come into a relationship with God. You change your mind about what you really are deserving of. And that's what repentance is all about. Your mind begins to be changed. And this is what Peter's saying to the Jewish people. He's saying, You need to change your mind about Jesus. First, you you crucified him, he's been raised from the dead. He was sent back into heaven and he's still offering you grace and I need you to change your mind about who he is because right now most of you out here that I'm preaching to, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe he is the Holy One of God. You don't believe he is the Messiah. You don't believe he is the Savior of the world. So change the way that you think about Jesus and then we can go somewhere. Now many of you may be in here today and you maybe have never truly changed your mind about who God is and about who you are and about your need for Christ, and about how you're going to get to heaven. How are you going to get to heaven? Are you good enough? No, the Bible says none is righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, that's what repentance involves. It involves this complete transformation of how you see reality. So he says, Repent. Faith that saves includes repentance. It's a changing of one's mind. True repentance is admitting that what God says is true because it is true, and then to change your mind about our sins and about our Savior. That's Warren Wiersbe. And then Peter goes on to share the rest of the gospel. Okay, okay, if you can change your mind about who Jesus is, and then this is what's going to happen. Your sins will be forgiven, times of refreshing will come, and you can look forward to the hope and the glory of one day. Jesus will what? He's going to come back. Now, listen, this is the beautiful picture of the gospel. Christ has died, past tense. Christ has died, okay? The gospel assures us of total forgiveness of sin. Hold on to this this morning. The gospel communicates to us that if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The cross was in the past. It happened historically in the past, and Christ has died. It's been settled. That's why Jesus said, it is finished the work is done it's complete your debt your sin debt has been paid in full and so this is the assurance that you have in the gospel today that if you have put your faith in trust in jesus christ alone for your salvation all of your sins have been forgiven not just past not just your attitude you're going to have today but even the sin that you may commit when in the future christ has died it's settled Christ is risen. That's the present tense. He says, if you repent and turn to God, he says, so that what? Times of refreshing may come to you. This is what Peter is saying. If you repent, change the way you think about Jesus, you turn to God in faith, you understand all your sins can be forgiven, and then God's going to do something amazing to you. He's going to make you alive for the very first time. The world is full of dead men walking. The world is full right now of people that are walking to work, they're walking to school, they're driving their cars, they're, they're sitting down and eating supper, and they are dead. Peter says that the, the, the assurance of the gospel is that you will have a fresh spiritual life. You'll have new spiritual life in Christ. In other words, Christ is risen right now in the present. And if you have Christ, you have Christ living in you when? Right now. At this very moment, you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit lives in you, and you have new spiritual life. You're awake. You're alive. You are refreshed in the presence, daily presence of the living God. But that's not the end of the gospel. Because not only has Christ, he has died in the past. He is risen right now in the present. But he's what? He's coming again in the future. Let's not forget the hope and the assurance that we have for the future restoration of all things. That's what Peter says right here. I'm going to read it for you. It says, That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive. Again, Jesus ascended into heaven. He must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke through the mouth of his prophets long, long ago. Christ has died. Your sins can be all forgiven. Christ is risen. That the presence and the refreshing of the Lord can be in your life right now. And then Christ will come again. You have an, an, an anticipation and a hope and an expectation that Jesus Christ is coming again. And let me tell you something. One day, there will be no more sin. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. God has promised to restore all things. You know what that word restore means? It means he's going to regenerate everything. He's going to make everything new again. And this is what will blow your mind. It's going to be even better than the original creation. Adam and Eve had it pretty good. We're going to have it even better. That's the gospel. So even though there wasn't this national return to Jesus on that day, there was a remnant again, as I said. And so you do have many of the Israelites believing and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So our, our, the church has Jewish historical roots. But finally, I want to make sure you understand that God continues to offer his free gift of eternal life to all people as an equally indescribable act of his grace. I'll say it to you this way. If you think it's amazing that God had mercy on the Jews, hey, it's pretty amazing that God still has mercy upon you and me. Because I'm going to tell you, you know what the Jews call the Gentiles? Just dogs. That's what I am. In my own left, to my own self, in my own sinfulness, in my own wretchedness, you know what I am? I'm nothing more than a dirty dog. That's it. All I care about is myself and my pleasure and what I want and what I can get and who I can hurt to get it. That's who we are in our own sin. See, Gentiles were the, were the most debased of people. These were the people that, that hated God. They were idol worshipers. They did all the most perverse kind of things. That's, the, our, that's our historical heritage. I'm a Gentile. Unless we become too proud, we need to make sure and understand that it's just as much an amazing act of God's grace that we are here today recipients of the salvation that only Jesus Christ can provide to us. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4. This I testify to you that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous, giving themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learn Jesus Christ. As you read through a passage of Scripture like that, do you see yourself in all of those things? I do because that's exactly where I would be today if I didn't have Jesus Christ. So it it is amazing grace, and it is amazing grace to all people. And it goes all the way back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, when he said, Abraham, through your seed, through your offspring, singular, through Jesus, through through the offspring of Jesus, all the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So even though God did give privilege to the Jewish people, even though God did choose to use the Jewish people to reveal Himself and to give Him the law and to give the covenants and to give the prophets and to give the patriarchs so that God may be revealed to the rest of the world, His intention and His plan for redemption has always been not just for the Jewish people, hallelujah, praise the God, but it's been for who? Everybody. Everybody. All people. That's why when we have been given this great commission to go and make disciples, Jesus reiterates that very promise in our great commission when he says go therefore make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit so that we don't discriminate because God does not discriminate. That's the great commission call. And this beautiful picture that Through faith in Christ, we've been been given the same inheritance as the Israelites were promised. So we've become sons of the covenant. We've become adopted by God. We've been made heirs of God in Jesus Christ. We've become children of Abraham by faith. All of the promises and the prophets say yes and amen in Jesus Christ so that as you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we have become recipients of all of God's graciousness, both now and forevermore. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. I want to ask our worship team to come up. And and here's, here's my application for today. This word repentance has just been heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart all week. Now, let me say something about repentance. As as the worship team comes up, this is your application. Repentance is not something that we only do at the moment of our salvation. The evidence of a changed life in Jesus Christ is a life of continual and deeper what? Repentance. Why? Because when Jesus saves you, you're justified before God. You have new spiritual life that you didn't have before. But you still have a sinful nature. Do you know that? I know I do. That's why Paul would, would say something like this. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I still do. Amen. And he was saved. So God is calling you and me constantly, daily to grow deeper and deeper in our repentance. What does that mean? It means that as soon as God allows you to change the way that you think about yourself or a particular sin that you're struggling with, and you finally deal with it, you finally acknowledge it, you finally admit that this is the reality that I'm living in, Lord. I've been doing this wrong. I have this wrong attitude, this wrong thought, this wrong sin, or whatever it may be. Lord, now I confess it to you. Please forgive me and help me live in victory from this point forward. Okay, that's what happens when when we repent. And as soon as God allows you to get over one of those sins and you have victory over those sins, guess what he's going to do next? He's going to show you another one. And as soon as he, it may take you another week, it may take you another year to get through that one, and guess what? As soon as you deal with that one and you repent, you change your mind about it, and you look at things in the reality of God and his word, then he's going to give you another one. It's called sanctification. It's called a process that he's taken us through, and it never stops till the day we die or the day he was or the day he comes back, we never stop. Is that your life? What I just shared, does that describe your life? Somebody once said it this way, and I'll close with this. I love this. The longer that I walk with Jesus Christ, the more sinful that I realize that I am. Does that define your life right now? If you've been walking with Jesus Christ for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, do you realize you're more sinful today than, it, than you were when you first came to him in faith? That's the mark of a true believer. That's the mark of a repentant life. Will you pray with me this morning?